0: Are you cooking with gas? Around a third of the nation's households have gas stoves in their kitchens. But new research has found that one in eight cases of asthma in children in the U.S. is associated with the pollution released by cooking on gas stoves. A member of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has even suggested a ban on new gas stoves because of this public health threat. But they haven't acted yet. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Representative Jason Smith, a Republican from Missouri, is expected to become the chair of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, defeating Representatives Vern Buchanan and Adrian Smith. With Democrats still in control of the Senate, the committee's legislative power will be diminished, but it is expected to tackle issues like Medicare benefits and telehealth. And in other committee news, Senator Bernie Sanders, who is slated to lead the Senate Help Committee this Congress, is not happy about Moderna's reported pricing for its COVID-19 vaccine. In a letter to Moderna's CEO Tuesday, he blasted the drugmaker's COVID-19 vaccine cost and urged him to rethink a planned price increase. According to The Wall Street Journal, the company is considering pricing the vaccine between $110 and $130 per dose once it shifts from government contracts to standard commercialization, a cost that would quadruple what the government currently pays per dose. And when the Biden administration renews the COVID public health emergency this week, it will mark the 11th time it's done so since coronavirus arrived. And it might also be the last. Adam Kinkren joins us from our White House team.
1: Hey, it's good to be here.
0: You have a new report out on how the administration wants to handle the end of the COVID public health emergency, and it could happen sooner than expected. What are they thinking?
1: So right now, what's under discussion here is uh, bringing an end to the COVID public health emergency. This is the kind of state of emergency that we have officially been in since January 31st, 2020, bringing that to an end sometime as soon as this spring. So we're talking, you know, April, maybe a little bit beyond that. And the reason being that, you know, we've been under this for more than three years now, there's a feeling that the various benefits that we've had by being under this PHE are not as significant anymore. It's harder to justify, especially as the vast majority of Americans are kind of back to normal. Things are back open again. And so this is kind of one of those significant steps that the Biden administration is looking to take in order to eventually transition us toward a more normal kind of longer term public health response in terms of approaching COVID.
0: So one of the biggest things that people are thinking about in terms of when the public health emergency ends is when states will be able to kick people off of Medicaid who are no longer eligible. But Congress already decided that. So what would the Biden administration's decision trigger?
1: It'd trigger a whole bunch of different things. And and you're right, the Medicaid uh, eligibility and, and redetermination, that was kind of the biggie, right? And Congress took care of that in some fortuitous timing that you can probably guess wasn't entirely coincidental. That will start in April as well. So that was, the, that was the big one, the big concern. But there are a whole bunch of other things, you know, really across the healthcare landscape that are going to be affected here. I mean, the main one here is hospitals were being paid, health providers were being paid at certain higher rates based on the assumption that they were going to be paying for various kind of part things of COVID. There are All kinds of provisions that ensure that people can get COVID testing for free, that they will be able to get uh, COVID vaccines and treatments for free. That process is all going to have to be figured out in terms of shifting people back onto their private insurance in the private market. Uh, They're also going to have to figure out, you know, for the folks who are not insured, how you make sure that they still have access in some way to ongoing treatments and vaccines. And then there are even smaller things. I mean, there's a whole bunch of smaller telehealth flexibilities and provisions. If you remember way back, there was a big effort at the beginning of the pandemic when people couldn't really leave their homes to make sure that providers would be incentivized to still see them through telehealth, even if they couldn't come into the office. So it's just a lot of additional flexibilities, a lot of money here at stake. That's all going to have to be unraveled in some kind of orderly way over the next several months. And that's really the planning that's going on right now behind the scenes is CMS, HHS, the White House, trying to figure out what does that look like? And then also how do we make that as smooth as possible?
0: And you quote public health experts and other folks outside the administration who seem concerned about this, given that cases are going up, you know, we're we're in a winter surge, you know, a lot of people are sick, a lot of people are in the hospital. Are there people inside the administration who share those concerns?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's kind of an odd time to be talking about this, I'll grant you. We are in the middle of obviously cases going up again, hospitalizations and deaths from COVID going up again. Uh, we have a new subvariant that seems to be the most immune-evasive one yet. Um, so it does seem a little bit odd, obviously, to be talking about this. And, and I'd say two things there. Is. One, yes, absolutely concern about making sure the administration has the capability to keep a lid on COVID cases as much as possible. And one thing that I can would really like to emphasize is that this doesn't mean that the federal response is going to be over. you know, As soon as the PHE ends, everything just ends. This is more about trying to figure out a transition out of a crisis operation uh, led out of the White House that we've seen for the last few years and into something that can be integrated into the daily activities of HHS, CDC, so that they can kind of be monitoring this over the longer term, you know, beyond the end of this year, beyond the end likely of the Biden presidency. The second thing I'll say is that The reason that these conversations are happening now is because the anticipation is that despite the surge we're in now, if patterns from the last few years hold, things case-wise should be a little bit less severe when we hit the spring. And at that point, the natural question will be, okay, so what do we do next? And the administration is very focused on, even as they are dealing with more immediate concerns, figuring out what this off-ramp looks like whenever we arrive at it.
0: So for the first couple years of the pandemic, we had a White House COVID team really running things and Dr. Fauci advising the president. Obviously, Dr. Fauci has retired, and it seems like there's also going to be a shakeup in you know, sort of who's, who's running things on this front.
1: Yeah, this is also part of the conversation. So to your point, Dr. Fauci left at the end of the year, and he, in addition to being kind of the top infectious disease physician for the country was also the chief medical advisor to the white house our understanding is that position will not be filled the white house felt like that was a role for a particular time and that was when we were kind of in the acute crisis of 2021 into 2022 and that now that there's a more established smoother running response there's not really a need at this time for finding a new chief medical advisor as for the rest of the white house COVID team What we're going to see is likely a slow attrition from that team. So things shrinking a little bit. And that kind of fits with the plan to eventually start to move more responsibility back to the health department and back to CDC. Uh, There's a feeling that it's not really worth at this point replacing people with new hires. If you're just going to be winding down the team at some point, you can kind of see the way that this is all trending.
0: Thanks for keeping us updated on this. Always good to talk to you and hope to have you back soon.
1: Same here. Really appreciate it.
0: And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.